Welcome to How My Country Works with your host, Stephen O'Shea. Next up, located in Eastern Europe with the capital Sarajevo, a population of 3.2 million and functioning as a presidential democracy is Bosnia and Herzegovina. In 1995, on an airbase in Dayton, Ohio, in the United States, a historical peace agreement was signed. But America wasn't the one declaring peace. The agreement was reached by the warring ethnicities of the Balkans, the Serbs, Croats, and Bosniaks, or Muslims. The agreement brought to an end a three-year war which had left over 100,000 people dead. However, in order to achieve peace, a complicated and locally driven political system was established, which included, among other things, a rotating presidency every eight months. Despite the convoluted nature of the system and continued problems with economic development in the country, Bosnia and Herzegovina celebrated its 25th birthday in 2020 and is still set on joining the EU. In order to dive a little bit deeper into this and the historical and political climate of Bosnia and Herzegovina, I'm joined on the show by Professor Emir Filipovic, who teaches at the University of Sarajevo. Emir, welcome to the show. Sure, and I'm very happy to have this opportunity to present a little bit of the history of my country, where I live, where I've grown up, and yeah, a little bit of something that I do because I'm a historian and I know a little bit. Perfect. Well, we might just dive straight in then. Can you tell us a bit about the history of Bosnia as it was originally known? Yeah, the, it's, it's, uh, it's a really good question. And I would think that it's true of almost all countries, but of Bosnia in particular, that the history and the development of Bosnia, both political, social and religious development, were influenced by its geographic position. What do you mean? In the time when Bosnia begins to appear in historical records, it was situated almost equally distant in an area that was equally distant from the two big civilizational and religious centers in Rome and Constantinople modern Istanbul, and two sort of uh, different ways of looking at religion, at language, at script. In the West, it was the Catholic religion and the Latin script and the Latin language. In the East, it was the Orthodox religion and the Greek script, and later on in Slavic traditions and Cyrillic script and so on. Right. So the country is kind of caught in the middle of different empires. I suppose that explains its complex ethnic makeup to this day. This very specific religious and political development in the Middle Ages, the later Middle Ages, so from the 12th century all the way up until the Ottoman conquest in the mid-15th century. Of course, because this is the period that sees the rise of that empire as well. We've explored the Ottoman Empire in a previous bonus episode and when looking at Albania, but how is Bosnia and Herzegovina impacted? From 1377, Bosnia existed as a kingdom until 1463 when it was conquered by the far greater, far larger and bigger Ottoman Empire. In fact, Bosnia was conquered in 1463 by the same conqueror who managed to take Constantinople 10 years previously, Sultan Mehmed II. And from then on, a new period and a new era of Bosnian history began. Yeah, I can imagine. But it's right on the edge of the empire, isn't it? How does this position actually impact its development? Even when it was conquered by the Ottoman Empire that held Bosnia for almost 500 years, it was still the westernmost province of the Ottoman Empire for centuries, therefore becoming a marginal land of the Ottoman Empire. Uh, When the Austro-Hungarians came in 1878, that was the easternmost province or the liminal area, the border area between Austro-Hungary and uh, the Ottoman Empire and Serbia at that time. 
Before that, when it was a part of the Byzantine Empire, Bosnia or the land of Bosnia was also the westernmost province of the Byzantine Empire. Therefore, I think that the position and the development of Bosnia is really influenced by this position that it has always being on the margins or on the edges, always being the periphery. And therefore, it allows for a certain degree of, uh, I wouldn't call it exactly autonomy, but of uh, attempting to blend influences from both sides. So both from the East and West. So even when Bosnia was under Ottoman administration, it still was very heavily influenced by events that went on in Dalmatia, in Croatia, in Hungary. And for instance, when it was a part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, which was a Central European land, it still continued to be heavily influenced by Ottoman Oriental traditions. Therefore, you get this very specific mix Uh, almost like an oriental oasis within, uh, you wouldn't call it the heart of Europe, but it certainly is, you know, geographically looking, uh, a European country that has a very distinct feeling when you when you visit. That's so interesting. So it has this real mix of influences over hundreds of years. Is that why you have this dual name as well? The name of the modern country of Bosnia and Herzegovina actually comes from the 19th century. So the land in the Middle Ages used to be called Bosnia. It was a composite, multi-confessional, multi-religious state, and it continued to be so under the Ottoman Empire and under the Austro-Hungarian Empire, and even is today. But the land uh, became known as Bosnia-Herzegovina only in the 19th century. This Herzegovina appendix was added to it on the account that the southern part of the land was in the mid-15th century ruled by a duke, a voivod, who in order to increase his prestige and standing, assumed uh, a German title of Herzog. This was Herzog Stepan Vukcic Kosača. And uh, when the Ottomans conquered his lands, they became known as the lands of the Herzeg, or in the Slavic language, the Herzegovina. So something in the lands that uh, territory of the Herzeg. And uh, this was... Um, a province uh, within the Ottoman Empire, almost in equal standing to Bosnia. So it was a Sanjak of Bosnia and a Sanjak of Herzegovina, but they were both uh, a part of the greater Eyalet of Bosnia from the end of the 16th century. However, in the beginning of the 19th century, the two were separated and then joined again under Austro-Hungarian rule in 1878 as one unique or unified province of Bosnia and Herzegovina. And this is where you get the, the duality of the name. How fascinating. But then after Austria-Hungary loses the First World War, the country is freed from its empire. How does it end up as part of Yugoslavia? There was an idea that Yugoslavs or the South Slavic-speaking peoples would uh, unite around Serbia, especially after the First World War and the great sacrifices that Serbia had. It was decided then that the Croatia and the Croats and Slovenes and other peoples would join a unified country that was called uh, the Kingdom of the Serbs, Croats and Slovenes. Its capital was Belgrade. Its uh, ruling dynasty was the Karadjordjevic dynasty from Serbia. And Bosnia, already by that time, lost a lot of its agency and uh, became just a part of the Kingdom of Yugoslavia later on after the Second World War. In fact, during the Second World War, it was the communist partisans led by Tito who recognized this uh, specific and individualistic development of Bosnia and Herzegovina 
Argentina as a country, and in 1943 held a meeting, the Anti-Fascist Council of the People's Liberation of Bosnia and Herzegovina, uh, when they established Bosnia and Herzegovina as a country in its own right, that then joined the Yugoslav Communist Yugoslav Federation that was established in 1945 after the country was liberated by uh, Nazi and fascist occupiers. Right. So after the Second World War, and once it's liberated from Nazi control, the country becomes part of a newly communist country of Yugoslavia, which is ruled by the dictator, Josip Tito, who actually rules the country until his death in 1980. How does the country fare under the Yugoslav state? When the country was re-established as a socialist republic within the Yugoslav Federation, it somehow reclaimed a little bit of its identity and uh, its borders and its territory. However, it all was somehow immersed in this greater Yugoslav cauldron. So there was a Bosnian and Herzegovinian layer of identity, but it was subsumed by the greater Yugoslav identity of the people who lived in Bosnia. Right. But then in the 1990s, with the fall of the Soviet Union, Yugoslavia begins to falter economically and the different countries within it start angling for independence. Does this happen with Bosnia and Herzegovina as well? Uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina proclaimed independence in 1992, therefore reclaiming a lot of its lost sense of identity. But unfortunately, this process was very brutally cut down by the very violent and bloody conflict that ensued after the breakup of Yugoslavia and after Bosnia and Herzegovina proclaimed independence in 1992, because a large part of Bosnia and Herzegovina's population did not want Bosnia to leave Yugoslavia, but rather wanted to keep Yugoslavia going, even though that was uh, almost impossible after Slovenia and then Croatia proclaimed independence. You know, if Bosnia remained within Yugoslavia, that wouldn't have been Yugoslavia. It would have been seen as greater Serbia, as a sort of this Serbian imperialistic project. Yeah, so the leadership of Bosnia and Herzegovina proclaimed independence and um, then we had the war that lasted from 1992 to 1995 and was finished with the signing of the Dayton Peace Accord. Yeah, absolutely. And we touched on this breakup and the peace agreement in the intro, but how does the country function today? The political arrangement, so to speak, of the country was established in 1995 with the signing of the Dayton Peace Accords, which ended the very bloody war and was very welcome at the time, but almost put Bosnia and Herzegovina into a straitjacket, limiting its political development and uh, preserving the status quo for more than 25 years now. In Dayton, Ohio, Bosnia was uh, confirmed as a unified and distinct political organism that would uh, have its own exterior policy, it would have its own state symbols, it, the flag, the coat of arms and the anthem, it would have a unified currency, it would have unified sports teams. So that's when you, when you look at football or basketball, you see the country playing as uh, and performing as Bosnia and Herzegovina, but within the country itself, the country was divided into two distinct entities. One was called the Republika Srpska, which was 49% of the country that was controlled by Serbs in Bosnia and Herzegovina. And the other 51% was controlled, was called the Federation of Bosnia and Herzegovina and was controlled uh, jointly by the Croats and the Bosniaks or Bosnian Muslims. Interesting. I think that can be confusing for some people. So the country is kind of divided into, but not between Bosnia and Herzegovina, but between these different ethnic dominated regions in order to maintain peace and create a very decentralized form of government. 
this federation of Bosnia and Herzegovina is then further divided up into 10 cantons. Oh, wow. Each of which has its own government, its own ministers and so on. And there's also one district, District Brčko. So therefore, in Bosnia and Herzegovina, you get this very complicated uh, arrangement where you have 13 different governments, uh, three different layers of authority, all designed somehow to keep people not fighting each other and somehow to keep this very precarious and delicate peace that was achieved after three years of fighting. Yeah, wow. That is definitely one of the more complicated systems we've encountered on the show so far. And it has kept the peace, but in doing so, it has kept the different ethnicities very separate from each other due to the brutal fighting and ethnic cleansing that had taken place during the war. But this means the country has really struggled to move on and develop, right? The idea was that... uh... People in Bosnia and Herzegovina would come, sit down and agree on certain issues in the future and that they would manage to amend the the peace accords and the constitution of the country in order to improve their own living situation. But the mistake was made when power was given to the same groups who instigated the war and waged the war. They continued to be in power even after 1995, and it was very difficult for them to come to any kind of agreement because with the Dayton Constitution that was established in 1995, Bosnia was defined as a country of three constituent peoples, the Croats, the Serbs, and the Bosniaks, and uh, no major decision on state level could be achieved without the agreement of all three parties, of all three sides involved. And uh, as you can imagine that after such uh, heavy fighting, it was very difficult to achieve any kind of agreement and any kind of understanding between the three sides, even so much so that uh, one side would just disagree in order to spite one of the other two. And we are basically in a straitjacket situation where Bosnia is not allowed to develop in the way that was expected. Yeah, absolutely. I think the straitjacket analogy is so apt. Just moving away from politics, though, would you mind talking to us about a festival or celebration that is unique to Bosnia and Herzegovina? Well, unfortunately, we don't have anything unique in those terms. We do have many holidays as Bosnia and Herzegovina, and I've stressed it many times, is a multi-confessional society. We do celebrate all of the major Catholic and Orthodox Christian holidays. And you know that Catholics and Christians, they celebrate Easter and Christmas and even the New Year on different dates. So we get two New Years, two Christmases and two Easters uh, on on an annual basis. But also because of the existence of a large Muslim population, we tend to celebrate the two big uh, Muslim holidays, uh, the Eid al-Fitr and Eid al-Adha. And um, it was customary, at least in previous times, but it's also preserved as a custom in, in modern Bosnia and Herzegovina for neighbors, regardless of their faith, to visit other neighbors of different faith at the time of their holidays to, to have lunch or breakfast with them, to feast with them and to, to celebrate. So this the, the feasts are somehow a moment when they all come together and they join each other. Wow, that sounds great. So it's basically all the big holidays. Well, I think that perfectly summarizes the multi-ethnic country we've been discussing today. Thanks so much for your time, Amir. No problem. Thank you. It was a, it was a pleasure to talk to you. And I hope that I've managed to make things at least uh, a little more understandable than they used to be before. <laughs> Certainly more than a little. 
Well, I think that's also the perfect place to end the show. Thanks so much to my guest, Emir Filipovich. Join us next time where we'll be exploring the African nation of Botswana, which has both one of the largest diamond reserves and most stable democracies on the continent. As always, please do read us on your podcast app and recommend us to any friends that have a hankering for political knowledge. Follow us on Instagram or Twitter at HowMyCountryWorks for extra insights and facts. And there you can message us around anything else you'd like to know about Bosnia and Herzegovina or any other country. This podcast is produced by Stephen O'Shea. See you next time. And remember to keep asking how my country works.